I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, as always, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. If you want to follow this podcast, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow. Send us your shopping list. I don't care. Send us something. <laughs> keep the community going. Keep the conversation going. And don't be shy to talk yourself horse about a talking horse. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can follow either of your hosts as well. You can follow myself on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas. Or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit, and it has, I agree with Adam, it's been lovely seeing so much engagement lately with that at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. You can find more by checking out that Twitter feed every Friday for the podcast, which is uploaded to Acast. You can, of course, subscribe on Acast. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you can pretty much get your podcasts, you can get Podcast Horseman, and we are grateful for you doing so. And to show our gratitude, at the end of this podcast, we'll be inducting somebody new into our special Season 3 Hollywood Talk of Fame. For one season only, we're going to be rewarding one random retweeter from that podcast link that we put up every Friday. Anybody that retweets that gets entered into a random draw, and they themselves could have a start on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. If you would like to keep your feedback, your five-star reviews, and all that good stuff coming from Apple Podcasts, we will be returning to that in Season 4. Just a reminder for anybody that is just jumping in now, and if so, why get yourself all the way back to the very beginning of this podcast feed? You've got so much to dive into. If you want to leave us a five-star review, a few words, could be nasty, could be nice, as long as you put them five stars on, and just some daft little comment that we can read out on this very podcast, uh, you'll get read out, you'll get inducted into the Hollywood Talk of Fame. But yes, to recap, a season three retweet one will be coming later on in the episode. Very exciting indeed. And as always, if you want to send the nasty things to at Michael Hamlet and all <laughs> the nice things to at it's Adam Nicholas, that sounds good to me. And also, just before we dive into this episode, who is a very good boy? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And did all of those lovely stars over the last few days and got them sorted for you, my slave master, Michael Hampton, <laughs> who just makes me do all of the things to do with Podcast Horseman that he can't do. I looked across the social media landscape and it was a constellation over the weekend. I was that nice. <laughs> <least>. It looked <laughs> beautiful. Very good. Well, be sure to let me know the next time you're coming around here and I will hit you with Orion's <laughs> belt. 
In the meantime, though, let me jump into Netflix synopsis, shall we, and talk about what's going to happen on this week's episode of Podcast Awesome. And by the way, I hope everybody enjoyed the stars and has enjoyed looking at them, and especially the new ones that we've done for Twitter. Aren't they pretty? Mm. Yes, they are. Tweet me and tell me how pretty they are. Anyway, season three, episode five, Love and or Marriage. While Todd and Bojack crash a rehearsal dinner, Diane gets high with a client. Princess Carolyn goes on a series of blind dates, Michael. Ooh, where's Scylla when you need her? Indeed, a very succinct ABC synopsis for a very succinct ABC episode of Bojack Horseman. And we start, as we mean to go on, uh, with Todd trying to pet Bojack Horseman up for the release of Secretariat. He wakes him up, he hassles him at breakfast, he jumps in the bath with him, uh, and he sends him basically into a total meltdown. All of Todd's best efforts to keep Bojack calm about the impending release, potentially life-changing release of his film, doesn't seem to be working. Uh, but Todd notes that, of course, it was a hit at the Pacific Ocean Film Festival. Uh, that moment appears to give Bojack a genuine heart attack, whether or not it's because of it being a hit at the film festival or all that we saw him go through while under while underwater for the festival last week. We don't know. Luckily, a call from Princess Carolyn comes in at just the right moment to, to let him know it's, quote, wait for it, a huge hit. After Bojack Bollocks for coming up with the worst wait for it ever, uh, Princess Carolyn gets to note to him that, quote, you're no longer a TV actor. Uh, they throw into a movie. You're a movie star. That seems to change Bojack's perception of everything in an instant. Todd asks him how he feels. He slaps down the aviators and gives him the cool, calm and collected awesome. That for anybody in the Bojack community will know has since become quite a much-loved gif that celebrates Bojack at his most obnoxious and Hollywood-esque. A great, neat and tidy cold openness because it captures both the reality of what Bojack genuinely thinks about Secretariat and the fraudulent side of his personality that he's able to flex once he knows for definite, and only for definite, that the public has at least embraced him this one time. Absolutely. I mean, when you first get him at the start of this episode, we've got ourselves one very cautious horse. I think we can all agree <laughs> that man is in tatters. And isn't that just the way? As soon as, as soon as he has any form of confirmation, the horse who never, ever, ever learns anything, ever, if anything, he forgets more things than he learns, this poor bloody horse, from being an absolute paranoid wreck, completely destroyed with anxiety, fear, panic, self-loathing. All it takes is Princess Carolyn to give him one good review, and sure enough, the sunglasses come on, awesome. And you just, you know for a fact that he's not going to be able to, like, in the history of this TV show, <laughs> what has Bojack Horseman ever done with, like, praise and positive news it's not going to end well, this, is it? It's that moment he brings the glasses down where you know from your history with Bojack that this is not the end of his night. And indeed, as the episode starts proper, we are greeted with the very beginning of his new night with Todd and Bojack. There is no longer any panic. There is just a sense of celebration and more than a hint of arrogance. Bojack and Todd rock up at a bar, at which point Bojack just uses his Hollywood stroke to steal Kiefer Sutherland's seat. Um because movie stars can do whatever they please, basically. Uh, but, ironically, the first person to recognise him spots Todd. It's uh, Emily, uh, his ex-girlfriend that, of course, we met in the flashback episode that took us back to the 90s release of the Bojack Horseman show. She's there for her friend's wedding rehearsal dinner in another room of the bar, uh, then spots Bojack after seeing Todd, and does, to be fair, fangirls over him. But not because he's the star of Secretariat or even the star of Horsing Around but because of the Bojack Horseman show itself. It's quite cute that this was where we met this character and this show is where this character still lives in, indeed, the mind of Bojack. She loved it, 
because of how catastrophically crap it was. She labours on how bad the quality of the writing was, how awful the jokes were, how Bojack's performance in it was absolutely terrible. As brilliantly portrayed in several sort of occasions on Bojack, he tries to cut her off at the pass at the various points. He doesn't need to hear what she's saying, but she's going to tell him anyway because she believes she has that right of her voice to just be able to give this famous person what she really thinks of him. Her honesty is rather refreshing, but in doing so, it kind of reduces Bojack's movie star aura in a matter of seconds. Um, nonetheless, she does say that I love you anyway. Those pointed words may indeed matter later. Uh, in need of some fresh validation, Bojack just springs into life with this idea that he wants to crash the wedding. He hasn't heard, or at least doesn't care, that it's merely a rehearsal, which uh, Emily does try and get across to him over and over again. But he wants to crash it. In his mind, he believes that if a movie star crashes a wedding, or indeed turns up anyway, it's the hottest story of the night. And ultimately, despite Todd's apprehension, he bullies Todd into doing it. Worse still, he is almost immediately validated by a very short cut to the crash itself. We, of course, cut to other things happening with the characters in this episode. We will get to them in a bit more detail later on in the podcast. But we get one very short scene where Bojack bursts in to this rehearsal dinner where the speeches are taking place. And the father of one of the brides of the wedding says, Oh my God, Bojack Horseman, the movie star. This is the happiest day of my life. As if to suggest that Bojack's awful idea was the right one all along. Movie stars really can do whatever the hell they like. The uh, the father of one of the brides sets up an improvised speech from Bojack that unlike every stand-up routine he's done, virtually every public engagement, like sp public speaking engagement he's ever had, as you can see, I don't do many of them, uh, it goes down a storm because suddenly he's been presented as the main attraction. This is going exactly as he wants he's cracking pretty clandestine jokes but they're going down a storm to the point where pointedly he never needs to ask even if people get them even though they're nowhere near as full of effort and drive that bojack in that laugh shack all those years ago once was trying meanwhile in the background emily is talking to todd uh, about uh, a difficult night she's had uh, arriving at the wedding rehearsal dinner uh, with a, a famous rideshare app that they don't name, but they think we all know which one they're talking about, uh, in which the driver has to touch her hair. Um, Todd, just being nice to his ex-girlfriend and just being Todd in general, really, notes that there should be an app for women uh, featuring only women drivers. Emily, understandably, is really inspired by this. What a brilliant idea it is. She wants more from that fantastic mind, and he pitches a miniature cupcake gun uh, <laughs> because Todd is Todd. Um, anyway, they're later seen at the table planning more about the rideshare app. Emily is so enthusiastic to see Todd to be around him and obviously to be trying to pick his brain more about how the logistics of this app work, even though she doesn't know what Mr. Peanut Butter does. Todd is all about the idea and nothing else underneath it. Um, nonetheless, what becomes quite apparent is that she's interested in Todd for more than just discussing this rideshare app. There is obviously still some dormant feelings there from their past relationship. Um, <laughs> Todd without really giving any tell as to why, doesn't quite seem as interested. But before he can act upon his own impulses to say no thank you, Bojack, the movie star, the raconteur, turns upon the scene and offers them his room key, forces it upon him effectively. Todd delays going back to the room to go and get more drinks, leaving Emily looking a bit confused. But all that is stopped dead by one of the two brides, who we learn is called Tanisha, who takes the mic to say that she was inspired by Bojack's speech, featuring, of course, one of those old cliched romantic lines, because Bojack doesn't know these people, of when you know, you know. The speech worked so well, it has inspired Tanisha 
to call off the whole goddamn wedding. Bojack has gone and Bojack this wedding rehearsal again. She says, upon revealing to all her family, her bride-to-be, the families, the friends, everybody, that she wants to call off the wedding because of this cliched speech by Bojack. She says, thank you, Bojack, as she is in floods of tears running away from the scene. Truly, when he gets appreciation, it is at someone's darkest hour. Everything, absolutely everything that this horseman touches, speaks to, interacts with, or whatever, goes to sh. That's it. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't mean it sometimes, not all the time, but most of the times, it's a disaster. The man is just fresh off the back of just blowing up a fresh water and taffy factory while <laughs> saving a small child. And then just turns up back on land. And has he finished, Michael? Has he bollocks? He just turns up at a wedding and he's not even... A rehearsal, sorry. A rehearsal, as we keep being repeatedly told by <laughs> Emily. Um, and just completely ruins it. Ruins it with his own ego because he's just there to, to spiel. And in fairness, he doesn't really do anything... like. Him being there is his fault and him wanting all the attention to his fault. But, like, the speech isn't... It's cliche, isn't it? So it's not yeah. terrible. Well, he, but he doesn't not know on, anybody there. No, he, he doesn't know anybody there. Doing a speech. It's that, it's that brilliant um, sort of, like, assumed arrogance of what we think of the worst kind of celebrity. That if they're in a room, then the whole room must want to listen to them. In this mm. case, Bojack has found a room where that is true and now is given the platform with which to speak. And they're listening and they're not having to ask him, as you said. There's no, do you get it? Do you get it? He's just in the floor and he's with an audience who are just prepared to laugh or nod or smile at literally anything he says, which is a dangerous weapon, much yeah. like a cupcake gun, some might suggest. <laughs> um, but yeah, too much of a good thing, I guess. And it's just not the, not the desired effect I think he was hoping for, maybe. No, as we return to the wedding, there's a great panning shot of literally every guest crying. But <laughs> Has reduced an entire rehearsal dinner to tears. The whole thing is in tatters. But the father of the bride, still starry-eyed, has said, we need you. We need you to go and talk some sense into her. Uh, meanwhile, Todd and Emily, while Bojack has been sent off with the charge of trying to talk about sense into the bride, Todd and Emily are back at the room. But Todd is still delaying before outright rejecting Emily's advances. He pretends to be sick. He says goodnight. Emily, because she's a woman in Hollywood and doesn't put pressure on men to go through with things they don't want to, completely accepts and understands Todd's decision, but is nonetheless confused by it. There's no sort of indication from Todd of maybe why the flames of their former love are no longer burning as bright as they appear to be for Emily herself. Um, we can't focus on that for too long because we are off to the toilets where Bojack is speaking to Tanisha, who has locked herself in behind one of the stalls. Uh, obviously, they're not making eye contact, which, again, kind of affords Bojack to just do his cliched movie star lines about love and loss and all that stuff until it all gets a little bit too real. And he finally starts being himself for the first time that night. Um, it all kind of falls off a cliff for him when he notes that he's trying to simul like simultaneously trying to advise her while also suggesting that she not take his advice. It's in that moment where it's as if there's a light bulb that goes off that realises he's the wrong person for this job, just like he was the wrong person for the job of doing the speech, just like he was probably the wrong person for the secretariat job. All these insecurities come to the front, but of course they are centred around love and marriage, or love and or marriage, as the title of the episode suggests. Uh, he labours on the merits of settling for somebody that she can stand to be around, because in his experience... 
just that is enough. It was never really about when you know, you know. It was just the ability to be around people because he has proven truly awful at it. He starts making it intensely personal about himself, about getting older, about being selfish, about being desperate until yet again we get that gorgeous soundtrack in the background of the piano key that sounds as much like like the death toll as much as anything else at this point. The bell toll, should I say, when when you know there is the sound of a death. Um, he just drops in the line. You don't want to be in a position where everybody loves you but nobody likes you. Um, at that point, the door opens and we only get really the briefest moment of eye contact between uh, Tanisha and Bojack before we get a cut back to the rehearsal dinner again with a big announcement of the wedding is back on. So Bojack in somehow managed to fix a problem that yes, he created by the way, has only really managed to do it by once again opening up one of his numerous gaping wounds that every now and then he tries to salve for the benefit of just keeping himself on the tracks, as it were. All the sort of, this was kind of all of the, what we've had of the last sort of one and a half seasons of the development of the Bojack Horseman character with a lot of the gag and drag from season one about how they established him in the first place. Yeah, this was like the two sides of the coin, wasn't it, for Bojack in terms of him pretending and putting his little mask on or putting the aviators on, I guess we wouldn't call it in this one, where he just turns up all superstar and movie star and opens his mouth in the, in the typical Bojack fashion, gives this spiel that ends up causing a problem. And then the only thing that can fix it, which is kind of sad really when you think about it, is the fact that he can't, he can't fix that problem being Bojack the movie star. He can't fix that problem being Bojack with the aviators on. He has to be Bojack the depressed horse, the sad, as his mom says, you know, you're Bojack Horseman, there's no cure for that, and sadly that is, like, rings so painfully true here. I will be honest, I remember watching this, the first time I ever watched this, and being like we spoke about this with another friend of ours who enjoys uh, Bojack Horseman quite a lot, and he was like, sometimes Bojack Horseman will hold a mirror up to you that you weren't ready to be held up to you. (laughs) And I remember this line in particular caught me off guard on some idle Tuesday, I believe, and I was like, God damn it, Bojack <laughs> with your stupid, stupid mouth. And I was sitting at home feeling exactly how Tanisha was, but maybe the reversal of all that, possibly. Um, but as those piano keys come in, again, brilliant sound design from these these guys. If you ever hear a piano, Michael, in this show, you know you're in trouble. And I think, it, again, it's just super sad that it takes Bojack having to be himself, which is ultimately quite sad and quite upsetting and quite you know, just not fulfilled to actually try and fix this problem that was caused by Celebrity Bojack, if you like. And, of course, one fixed problem begats another broken one. The episode arc for Bojack, at least, ends with Todd lying in that empty hotel bed, looking quite sad, looking quite forlorn, a little bit drained by the experience that he's gone through this evening with Emily, without, again, particularly having any clarity as to why that is. Um, But Emily, rejected, finds Bojack at the bar, with that simple monosyllabic hey. And that's all we get from this episode. That's all we, there's no sort of suggestion of anything else, but you kind of have to chart the journeys of the three characters and the way they've intertwined. In fact, as you'll note, there's no sort of other discussion of Todd in this podcast. Todd and Emily's story was completely wrapped up in the wedding rehearsal. The stuff that Bojack was up to in this one um, left you with a very uneasy feeling at the end of Bojack's supposedly celebratory night. It was a hey that said so much more in just three letters and one syllable, I think. We've all been there, Michael, you know, when you're a celebrity and you're at the bar and you come back from a bad night 
and when someone you, else you know who really crashed a wedding rehearsal. It crashed a wedding rehearsal, and someone else who you know who happens to have declared their love for you already, and because you're so famous from a TV show. I mean, it happens to it happens to all the time, isn't that's, it? That's it's that standard boy meets girl, isn't it? If, <laughs> if anything, like horsing around, it's a sitcom cliche. It's a classic horse meets woman tale. We've <laughs> all been there. It is not tellingly the end of the episode because Indeed. that is given to the Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter plot. Um, we're going to move on uh, to the Hollywood stars and celebrities section of the podcast because this was loaded with other stuff for the uh, central characters this week. I think this was a, a conscious effort to level the playing field for a bit for the ancillary characters after Bojack spent that week underwater away from all of them. Um, and Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter's plot this week, I think, was intentionally given, it was the B plot, of course, it's Bojack Horseman, but it was intentionally profiled in a way to let you know that we are still in the middle of some very serious business for the pair. Um, their episode starts with a pair of them at counselling. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter is going through a long declaration of how important their love and bond is to each other <laughs> by comparing it to cool runnings, because that's Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, and then we cut out to find that they are indeed at counselling, uh, meeting with Dr. Janet, who we, of course, heard about before. She is brilliantly voiced by the wonderful Lorraine Braco, who plays Dr. Melfi in The Sopranos, Tony Soprano's counsellor. The heartbeat of that show is the counselling sessions between Tony and Dr. Melfi. Um, <laughs> and basically, she lets them know that they're coming to the end of their hour, which means Mr. Peanut has been doing his bit of the telling his truth side of the marriage for the entire duration of their session. Given Diane just a few scant minutes to respond, she says, quote, Mr. Peanut Butter, I think you are great. And the notes, she can't really summon the words to discuss emotions or feelings, despite the fact that Dr. Janet notes she's a writer and that's her job. Before they can dig any deeper into just how awkward that situation is, a police siren goes off to denote the end of the hour. They're out of time. Dr. Janet says they need to communicate better, which is rich coming from somebody that's just put a siren on to stop them. And uh, says she's not singling somebody out but then goes on to single Diane out with that particular bit of criticism. Back at the house later on, they're kind of addressing how all of that went. Diane notes their very different upbringings as to one of the reasons why possibly Mr. Peanut Butter can communicate to her in a way that she can't quite to him. Talks about his very loving background um, compared to obviously what we know of Diane's family dynamic in Boston with her brothers and her father and her not very supportive family unit. Um, but before they can really dig any deeper and do something with what they might have got out of the counselling session, she gets a text from Alexi Brosofino, um, a client and famous actor who wants her to Instagram uh, a party that she's doing. He's part of the agency, obviously. She seems very keen to get out of the chat, but also acknowledges that she is doing this in a professional capacity. I think it's worth taking little breaks here because this is quite a, a big plot for the two of them. Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter at this point, um, their marriage is far from okay, but it was quite nice, I thought, to at least see the bit after the counselling where they were trying to reflect on what they'd gone through rather than just have that session and then leave it alone like the sirens suggested they might. Diane being forced to have that chat after the chat, I thought showed that she was at least trying to make something still, make the heartbeat of that relationship still pump a bit of blood. I think the whole the whole thing is kind of, feels like a continuation of what we've seen already between these two where... Mr. Peanut Butter really is into it and wanted to try and open up and try absolutely everything he can. He's a dog. Of course he is. His heart's <laughs> so full of love and probably dog food and bones at this point. But he's just desperate, desperate to like to throw himself into this fully. Whereas Diane, as she was when we heard her on the phone and she wasn't quite as re 
um, receptive to the way that uh, Dr. Jana had told them to talk to each other on the phone and stuff. This whole thing has been painful, but I try to drag Diane through this, whether she wants to or not, like in the hopes that they can figure things out. And I was trying to think where we left them. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, we leave, the last time we saw Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, they just had a bit of an argument on the phone, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. because we had the Fish Out War episode, which was obviously all Bojack. But prior to that, Mr. Peanut Butter was very, very unhappy with Diane yeah. and was shouting at her at the phone and saying she can't do that and disappear when she went on the escapade with Bojack. So this is like, it fits, obviously fits perfectly where we left them. Um, it's no surprise as we caught them here. I just thought it was a very interesting dynamic that, we were being pushed down the avenue specifically to look very much at Diane here again as like you're the you feel like the problem here, which is a weird Diane dynamic, if you will. <laughs> I was dynamic. trying to squash the dynamic um, <laughs> because for so very long, Diane has not really been our like a problem for us, has she? She hasn't been mm. the problem. She tends to have been the solution most times, and like previous seasons, certainly yeah. ever since. The effects that have had, like she's had with uh, everything that happened with uh, Hank Hippopotamus and or Hippopotamus, and um, obviously going over to Cordovia, I feel like hey, she's slowly falling down this rabbit hole and she can't get herself out of it. And this is just another massive, big, gigantic pointing arrow and siren that happened to be sort of highlighting that. The three months of spending time with Bojack Horseman yeah. exclusively will do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, she meets. I mean, Christ, imagine that. I've spent nearly three years with you. <laughs> and I'm only twice as depressed as Bojack Horseman. He's Hossman. only twice. <laughs> Diane meets Alexi and his group uh, as he refers to them as the Snatch Batch. In, <laughs> in the gag of the episode, in my opinion, we are introduced <laughs> to Carlos David. And their friend, sure. <laughs> Which is another popper that brings tears to your eyes out of nowhere. <laughs> they all correct the nickname. They all come across as far more decent people than the Snatch Batch would suggest. The, the idea is, is that they're maybe not just sex-obsessed Instagram parties and they are, in fact, decent people. Apart from <laughs> show who communicates exclusively in raspberries constantly on his phone with only a tongue barely coming out of his mouth to blow the laziest raspberry anytime anybody ever mentions that name which again is show they uh, all have <laughs> they all have a joke at his expense and what a jerk he is uh, diane tries to get in on it she mocks show and it goes horribly wrong and is forced to apologize to him when she gets the joke and the dynamic of the group wrong um over the course of the evening, we cut back to the party and we find that Alexi has actually got a number of charitable initiatives. Um, Diane might have read his general aesthetic wrong, it seems, um, until the party becomes the party she expected. Drugs come out. She's asked if she wants to try this new wonder drug called Gush that they've all got in an attempt to sort of keep within the theme of the party and indeed do her job as a professional Instagrammer and catch all the right moments she agrees to take the drug. She's trying to work out if they're really kicking in, trying to wait for the hit. Um, in the meantime, uh, Alexis' group talk about him texting, quote, that piece, quote, that hot girl, saved in his phone as, quote, cool, sexy Diane. A brilliant subversion of where I thought they were going here, because Alexis is trying to do the old sort of throat slash thing to cut them off talking. And my first instinct was, this is a Hollywood party. Diane's in a dangerous situation. She's been dragged here under false pretenses, has been drugged 
effectively, I'm worried for Diane. Diane, irrationally, while suddenly the drugs are starting to kick in, comes up with this entire scenario where she thinks it'd be really funny if there was boring Diane, her, and cool, sexy Diane, a Diane that she wanted to come to the party. And oh my God, what if he texted the, her by mistake? And that was why she was there. And then suddenly has the realization that that's exactly what's happened. The gush is hitting now. She's starting to see everything in weird colors. A glow has formed around the animation of her to illustrate this point quite clearly for all of us. Um, again, it's not made entirely clear yet if she's got the wrong end of the stick or indeed the right one, but she's tripping nonetheless and tries to leave uh, to save her obvious shame and embarrassment over, well, all of the situation, to be honest. Um, before she can, Alexi convinces her to come back, um, suggesting that it was, in fact, another Diane that he was trying to get to the party, but he's glad that she's there nonetheless. He tries to convince her back for what we have to believe are all the good reasons. They're having a good time. He's enjoying her company. He'd like her to be there. This is not quite the sinister thing that maybe it might have directed down. It's quite a nice misdirect, I thought that, for the Alexi character. Um, but she's too busy overcome with love, not for Alexi, but for Mr. Peanut Butter. Should point out that Alexi does say, we're in this. So you can't switch off the idea that maybe he had other intentions with Diane. There's a sort of conspiratorial tone to his gesture with Diane. There's a, like a, he reaches out for a certain hug. She's not interested. She wants to go home and tell Mr. Peanut Butter just how much she loves him. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter is at home watching Bones when Diane rushes in. To quote Diane from earlier in the episode, I'm not sure that shows what you think it is, Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, and declares, while still high, as we can see through the gush glow around her, um, declares just how much uh, she loves him how he's good for her, how she needs him. Uh, she tries to carry him to bed, but in the physical act of trying to show her love and affection for Mr. Peanut Butter, falls sharply and breaks her arm. We learn this uh, of this broken arm when they're at the doctor's office, when uh, the doctor says that they should, uh, while, sorry, while at the doctor's office, they're having a discussion where they should go to the Labrador Peninsula, go and see Mr. Peanut Butter's family, really get away from it. It's nice that they went back to the conversation they were having before the party and they're able to revisit that after the fact as a reminder that maybe things are a bit more on course than they're remembering where they left off they're communicating they're talking but the doctor casually drops in that diane is wait for it pregnant ba -ba -ba. She, she hits one almighty mother and then the end credits cut her off just before that big c and k drop uh a big one from party to pregnant for Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, a big one. Huge, huge love for this, and like that, that ending was so abrupt. There's something so great about it because obviously cutting off the big mother effer. But on top <laughs> of that, the word we get left with is just mother, which Beautiful. is just brilliantly done, I have to say. Um, to just quickly nip back and just and talk about the the Alex Prosafini, Prosafino okay. and his and his boys. Love this little... We've talked about uh, Entourage before on this show, and this mm. is very much... Uh, it felt like that was the that was the vibe here with these four. Um, just a quick nod to the people who animated this. Uh, I've obviously spent some time watching that show because it's actually a turtle. show is actually a turtle. His shell <laughs> is, like, hidden by his T-shirt, which is obviously direct reference to Turtle from Entourage. There's a character right, called okay. Turtle who wears a backwards cap like that. But also, I thought it was hilarious because they've done one of the other characters up who looks just like Johnny Drama, the guy. I think he's called Dave, maybe, in this. Mm -hmm. And it's just the dynamic is hilarious between those. But I have to say, I was with you. I wasn't sure. This was very much a white guy frat party 
Like mm. that's what this felt a bit like. Um, and you were worried about Diane, weren't you? And yeah. to see it go from what we thought was maybe going to be another big mistake for her down a road of which might have knocked her back even further to where she is now. It actually ends up being quite a like a euphoria and a sort of eureka moment. Sorry for her but euphoria as well, I guess technically. Um, as she figures out what she was trying to get ahead around, which is the fact that she just can't unlock those feelings. I think, which is fair to say. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, what a in terms of a complete twist to what we were expecting, like when we've gone from potentially worrying about something terrible happening to her, being drugged and have, being taken advantage of by these three guys, to I'd say the almost exact opposite in domesticity, where it's like, actually, no, you just happen to be <laughs> pregnant and you've also got a broken wrist from trying to carry your husband a bit. <laughs> it's a particularly nice twist in that it was one that was sort of foreshadowed um, we're to believe that the last few episodes of Bojack, because of obviously the film festival and the release of Secretariat, were all taking place within about a month of each other, certainly no more than that. And it was just two episodes ago when Diane made that throwaway comment, uh, whoa, kids, can you imagine that? I wouldn't anything worse. And then just went on about her day. Doing the maths, we can assume that she was probably pregnant as she made those remarks. The uh, Mr. Peanut Butter Diane conception perhaps had already happened. So I really like them throwing that in there. It's not something Bojack Horseman does very often because it's busy doing just about everything else. But again, there is always things to track back on after the fact. And that's almost one of them, which I kind of really appreciate. Yeah. Um, it's in there for a reason, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's not It's not a waste. It's, there's no wasted words. Um, there's no wasted time, much like in the life of Princess Carolyn, who in this episode, in the C plot, I suppose, but again, quite heavily profiled, we're dealing with the busy life of and, you know, Princess Carolyn now, the woman that owns the agent, trying to... We're back to the idea of... Princess Carolyn wanting to have it all, but being realistic about what she can because things just aren't fair for women, fundamentally. <laughs> like that runs underneath most of Princess Carolyn's life. Um, she has at least got her very game and able assistant, Judah, who uh, takes the free five minutes in Princess Carolyn's day to negotiate 10% ownership of the agency, but brilliantly, and I thought this was so important proves his worth of that 10% to her almost immediately over about 30 seconds in which he does diary management, he does planning, he does booking, he does everything for her. This was not a case for a change of a man trying to manipulate, as we've seen with Rudebaker, as we've seen with every man in Bodak Horseman, um, of him trying to get something that he doesn't really deserve, get an opportunity he doesn't believe is fair. This 10% he claims is kind of the least of what he deserves. And there's such an openness and an honesty to the manner at which he comes at this with Princess Carolyn. He's not trying to con her. He's not trying to hoodwink her. They just know that this is best for business. But it's not all about business. That's what Jude is trying to get through. It's also about pleasure. And she asks, uh, she had asked him previously, sarcastically, to get her three days. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Due to being hyper-efficient, got a 3 dates. So that's what we get. We get that nice sitcom device of uh, Princess Carolyn having to go on all three dates in a one free evening of time. Um, they're all... Uh, they're all at Elephanti. They're all sort of within a few hours of each other because she's never off work long enough to do any more nights. Um, it's just presented through a series of cut twos. So we've got the quite big A plot, the very big B plot, and then the cut twos of the C's of Princess Carol and all these dates. Uh, first date, she's bored to death by a guy that works in the auto glass industry, which is only revealed when he stops talking for one second to say, oh, are you in the industry? She says he's an agent. And then he reveals that, Ah, oh, in the autoglass industry, we like to call the autoglass industry the industry. This is never going to work out. The second date is up there with shit show for the gag of the episode. She uh-huh. is she's having drinks with a rhino who is really upfront about her age and suggests that she's too old to have kids. This conversation seems unprovoked and is, let's be honest. But his justification for bringing it up is that he's a gynecologist, which allows for the line, quote, albino rhino gyno, before he also admits he has a problem with the booze, which makes him an albino rhino gyno wine addict. <laughs> that was a, a <laughs> fantastic subversion. Uh, again, date two has not worked. She's kind of ruling out the night in general when her third date, a mouse called Ralph Stilton, turns up. Um, upon seeing each other, they kind of laugh. They share that moment together where it's a cat and a mouse. It can never really work. But they're very kind to one another, innit? Kind of Princess Carolyn alludes to the rubbish night she's had. Um, Ralph suggests that he's still quite hungry and reckons there's a great place down the road where they can get a nice cheese platter. Um, and they kind of bond over that miscommunication. Off they go. We cut back to them later on. It's very apparent that they've had a great non-date uh, and they arrange a second real date this time around. Um, I say they arrange it. They can't land an actual date for the date because she admits she might never be free because of all her work. Um, but they kind of accept that as parts of her like her busy life, and at least it ends well. It is goodbye for now, if not forever. Princess Carolyn goes from the date, and this is the most tragic moment of all, back to her office at night time. But in what is reflective of the turning point and the 10% ownership at the start of the episode, she goes into the office to find Judas still there. He hasn't even noticed it's nighttime because he's continuing to work for her. Um, he's doing a series of cards uh, for the members of staff. He's writing on messages in them. Um, Princess Carolyn gets back to work with him. They're still there. They work late into the night together. And she comes across briefly the card that Judah has wrote to himself from her. that just has a very nice message saying, thank you for all the incredibly hard work you do, which she kind of very gladfully, uh, gladly, should I say, adds her signature to. Um, a happy ending if not in the traditional sense. Princess Carolyn coming back to her office almost gives you PTSD of the nights she spent in that floor of that building above Rudebaker's office, wondering if it's ever going to work out. This was a different kind of late night shift. Something felt a bit more complete about the night she'd had. 
you could say something felt a bit magical, Michael, because if you were paying attention as you watched that final final moment between Princess Carolyn and Judah, as they're doing, she has the little glance, she's just signed this card. Instead of this sort of, you know, that remember she wanted to wait in the moment, she knew it was a nice moment with Ruda Baker, but there was no time because he was too busy being a dickhead rabbit. Well, there was none of that, yeah, because she was sharing this moment with Judah. And in the background, in the sky... There's two or three shooting stars just went whizzing by oh. just to really encapsulate how good of a moment this actually was. Even though she's trying her best to keep it all together elsewhere, she still finds time. And she's actually, she's probably quite happy where she yeah. is, do you think? I think it's fair think to say. There was a, this is the thing. Princess Carolyn's life, because she has no choice, is always about compromise and balance. The times when she finds that and the times when she doesn't. And it's when she finds it, as we said, we can now boil down the Rudebaker experience to one split second where she had that compromising balance, enjoyed it before it was ripped away. This was, for the first time in a long time, an extended take on that. Um, no sadness, a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding, but no sadness, no sort of sense that this was this life of hers was a kind of failed pursuit. Absolutely, and I think those... Judah earning his 10% and us seeing just how efficient the Judah is. It was really nice this episode because he's been a nice addition so far in mm. this season. Um, he's done everything he's needed to do. I think we can all agree. And the fact he's so, so good at his job, very literal, we have to admit. Obviously, he gets yeah. out those three dates. And <laughs> I think at some point, does he not cancel a bunch of lawyers who have to come in to change the light bulb, which, of course, <laughs> he has taken the joke far too seriously. But um, I just a fascinating dynamic building there between like well Princess Carolyn being able to like, run this company really well and now having someone else alongside her a man to support her Michael who would have ever thought it <laughs> that every single man pretty much has come in contact with has been straight garbage although maybe not so great because he did get two really really shit dates and yeah. obviously the last one kind of worked out by accident almost he I just quite liked that you had him and Alexi, where you couldn't quite work out his intentions versus yeah. Judas, which were clear to a almost too literal extent. Mm. Um, she, he's, his transparency is so welcome when the women of this show are surrounded by men that they can't at all, and nor are they permitted to figure out what exactly is these men want. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something maybe I haven't picked up on watching it to this up until this point. How many times I have, but. I think Judah is such a an obvious like ally to Princess Carolyn in this yeah. show, which who is the woman who pretty much epitomizes all of the negative bad things that happen to women in Hollywood mm. across the board, particularly those who work right in the middle of the trenches. And him being a literal ally in the sense of helping her do her job, but also in the fact that he just wants her to be happy on top of that, which he can also fit into his busy schedule, is like it's a very, very welcome addition, I think we can all agree, across it's the board. pleasing, isn't it? It's it pleasing is. to watch, yeah. Well, not all bad. Not all <laughs> of us. Most of us, yes. Oh, I'm but, terrible, man. But yeah. <laughs> you just need long hair and a beard, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hearing. I know, I know who that animated sprite reminded me of when I was watching this. <laughs> well, I do like to go cycling every now and again. <laughs> anyway, listen, let's not dive into that. Let's... Go back, assuming that's you and you're all done with your mm. regaling. Let's dive in, horsing around, shall we? The part of the show where we go back and we look through all of the things that happened in this episode that Michael Hamlet was too busy taking notes on the narrative to notice 
things that are like hidden meanings behind things, the small details that you might have missed, or indeed a couple of Easter eggs here and there. No, not the literal ones. It is, in fact, September. You're far too late for that. Um, let's go back to the very beginning, then, shall we? As Bojack is in his house with Todd, and Todd is driving him mad with all of the anticipation and suspense of a rather hectic day, it's fair to say. Just a couple here. Wonderful one where Bojack is holding a mug, and the mug reads, I love New York. And as he's talking to Todd, Todd says something. He turns around the other way, and you see the other side of the mug, and it just says, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Such a little thing, but it made me laugh out loud. And I actually caught that on a second viewing today, not the first one. There you go. And um, also on top of that, I just thought it was hilarious, Todd, who kind of reinforces the the whole story that happened in Fish Out of Water in the last episode, says, wasn't Secretariat a big hit at the Pacific Ocean Film Festival? Critics called it Gable, Garble, Glub, Glub, Glub. <laughs> <laughs> Which, what a wonderful way to just remind us all of how disastrously bad the communication levels were down there. Anyway, we go to uh, Dr. Janet's office, couples therapy. Just a quick couple of notes about the room. Obviously, on the, po- on the wall, there's a few posters. One of them is one that just says, speak, and it's the image of a dog doing a bark, and then it just says, Good boy. <laughs> Underneath. <laughs> quick, uh, act and reward, I guess you could call it. And then yeah. on the post that it says, how to share. And it, we've got a few keywords here. We get feel. We get react. We get spill. We get obfuscate. We get bottle. Sorry, bottle for people who are <laughs> English. <laughs> we get unbottle. We also get rebottle. <laughs> we get reflect. And then we get repeat. <laughs> Everything covered there, I think we can, we can all agree. I love that Mr. Peanut Butter <laughs> said to Dr. Janet as he's thanking her for all of her hard work. He says, thank you, Dr. Janet, for making me open up like that. <laughs> Fresh off the back of a bunch of cool runners references. Brilliant stuff. And here's a little interest, interesting tidbit for you about one of your hosts. You know when someone says to you, what's that film that you've never seen that everybody else has seen that you always pretend to see? Well, mine is Cool Runnings. There you go. I can quote that film inside and out, and I've never, ever seen it. Well, let me be the one then, seeing as you've finally got that, like, off your plate in the podcast, to take all the abusive tweets from saying, it's probably not worth your time. I don't think it holds up. If you've got the quotes, you've got everything you need. There. It's out there. Podcast horseman. At Michael Humphrey, please. I don't like dogs. I don't like cool runnings. It's out. I just I needed it said. Interesting. Weight off my shoulders. Feel the rhythm, feel the ride, my friend. <laughs> See, look, there you go. You did the good bit. <laughs> I did also enjoy Mr. Peanut Butter's ears spiking up in shock as he makes like a <laughs> noise when the alert when the alert for the end of the session goes off in Dr. Janet's office. Wonderful stuff. Because he's a dog, Michael. Don't know if you know about that. <laughs> we go to Vim offices and there are a bunch of a quick establishing shot, you'll see a bunch of window cleaners on the outside who are, in fact, frogs. I don't know what the proper name for these frogs are. I had a quick look. Green tree frog sort of popped up. You know the ones. Frogs <laughs> on windows. Little frogs. The green. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> I, lo- I loved also the Judah who was working hard. One of the n- numerous things he's done in this episode for Princess Carolyn is he sorted out a dental plan for the entire office, Michael. And the dental plan is called the tooth, the whole tooth, and nothing but the tooth. Very which nice. I was brilliant. Very nice. And he also mentions one of the other meetings that Princess Carolyn has later that day. And he says, well, you do have that meeting on Captain Hooker 2, Yo-Ho-Ho, and a bottle of booty. (laughs) (laughs) Which is absolutely absurd. And then finishes off a triple threat 
of wonderful things that he does by doing his own tongue twister, just to show you how in line and in sync he is with Princess Carolyn when he says, speaking of paper, and I'm totally going to butcher this, but let's try it from the very beginning. Speaking of paper, Piper Parabo and Paulie Perrette need to push back the pitch on the Princess and the Pauper project. Well done. Very good. Look, all I'm saying is I'm Judah, right? It doesn't matter. It's cool. (laughs) Whatever. Not a big deal. Anyway, let's cut to our next little gag. We go to the Hotel Kangaroosevelt, Michael. eh? (laughs) Because it's all kangaroos. And as you might have noticed in the theme that you will have seen, we get a bunch of funny things happening with the bus boys at the hotel who are, of course, kangaroos, Michael. And they hop towards the car to get people's keys and get that baggage and all that stuff. But inside the Hotel Kangaroosevelt, we get the little bar, Joey's Bar, as you mentioned. And uh, Bojack and Todd, as they turn up, we find a few little trinkets in here. There's some art on the wall you will see is a picture is a picture of a man who is loading firewood onto the back of a donkey. You'll see it immediately as you walk in the room, which is, in fact, a reference to the real-life painting by Diego Rivera, which is called Man Loading Donkey with Firewood. <laughs> <laughs> say what you see say what you see Michael there's oh, also God. a couple of familiar faces in there you might have spotted you will notice at the very back of the room uh, just ha- having a chat and a, a, a drink with a giraffe a celebrity giraffe I assume is the girl who Bojack sleeps with in I believe it's season one uh, she's apologies everyone particularly women she's the quote unquote dumb blonde he, he sleeps with in season one he picks her up at the bar and he takes her home for a quick one night stand. Uh, and she's too busy tweeting afterwards, I think, is the of <laughs> it. You will also see that in there is Ethan Hawke, who we've seen a few times in this show, who's also a Hawk, Michael, if you haven't got guessed it already. And of course, we get Kiefer Sutherland, who's at the bar and quickly gets rejected by an actual film star, Bojack. Oh, yeah. Take that, however, will you want to? <laughs> um, Back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house we go, and another one of my favourite stupid gags in this show continues as he and Diane are talking in the kitchen. What's in the kitchen, Michael? It's the fridge, and what's on the fridge? The bloody fridge magnet again. Oh, get it. Has been a little change around this time, to which we have the following little, I don't know, anecdotes, tidbits, whatever you want to call them. We first one. <clears throat> she ran to fetch pants. Food boobs? Question mark. <laughs> El frijole es muy dulce. We have playtime with feelings and my personal favourite, fridge. <laughs> when? when Scrabble magnets. In the real world and Bojack has boobs not been spelled out ever. Not just boobs, Michael, but even perhaps the source of them, food boobs. Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> anyway, back to Vim officers. And another establishing shot outside, sorry, just has a random two people waiting. One's waiting for a car, I think. Another one is hanging from a lamppost, Michael, upside down, because he's a bat. Not the (laughs) Batman, but he is a Batman, who just happens to be hanging around from a lamppost. Uh, Also, the the receptionist inside Vim offices, as you might have spotted, is, I believe, a deer. And the deer has two massive big antlers, and on his antlers, or all the post-it notes for all the things yes. he's having to take note of, which is a wonderful little touch. But speaking of wonderful little animal jokes, we go back to the Hotel Kangaroosevelt, and of course this time we see the Kangaroo bus boys are getting a little bit more adventurous. They put the luggage down, and instead of putting it like on a little trolley and taking it across, they just open their pouches and ram them inside the pouches and start bouncing back to the hotel door. 
because of course they do, Michael. They're kangaroos. <laughs> but we go over to Alexi Brosofino's house, and there's a couple of my favourite uh, little gags that happen inside this house. For starters, you'll see on the wall there's a bit of art, which Diane even references when they first come in. She says, is that a klimt? Well, as it happens, it actually is a klimt. It is, in fact, a picture by the artist Gustav Klimt, and the picture is called The Kiss, as you may see, with a couple of different changes. Mm-hmm. got two snakes instead of the two people who would be holding each other. But it's that lovely-looking mosaic-y kind of picture. But yeah. also some fun painting stuff, which we'll get back to in a second, that happens there later on. I also thought, I've just noted down here, that the Snatch Batch is an obvious kind of nod to the guys from Entourage. We get David, who looks like a blonde-haired Johnny Drama. She shows, of course, a turtle. Um, who is actually a turtle, just like a turtle from Entourage. And let's not forget the wonderful T-shirt that David's wearing. It just says, I like shit. Let's <laughs> <And laughs> be honest, Michael, who doesn't like shit? Who doesn't? who doesn't like shit? Anyway, we go back to Elefante. I say back to, I think the first time we go to Elefante, actually. And outside we get an establishing shot, and there's a valet there who is a snail, Michael, who gets a set of keys off some poor woman who then watches him slowly but surely Stroll away in the slowest form possible. Got <laughs> uh, a feeling he's going to take a while. More on him in just a second. However, inside there, we get some women who are at the bar while Princess Carolyn's on her date. You'll notice the both of them have well, both from the Secretariat film production crew, I guess. One of them is the camera woman who we saw in the Fish Out of Water episode with the blue hair and all the tattoos. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, the woman who we don't know the name of because she um, is the woman who does the... the Bojack's audition for Secretariat, I believe, in season two. Um, in season two or season one? At the end of season one. In the season one, yeah. In season one. She's in the room with Kelsey yeah. and Tiltop uh, when Bojack does his audition. Anyway, not to get derailed and off track, let's go back to the... You will notice a pattern here. We're just going to keep going back to these three different places. For <laughs> Should have just written them all alongside each other. But back to the Hotel Kangaroo felt again. This time the bus boys are getting even more adventurous, Michael. And instead of putting some luggage in their pouches, one of them whistles and out of his pouch pops another smaller bus boy kangaroo. They both then get luggage, put it in both their pouches and then hop back across. Because the kangaroos, <laughs> brilliant stuff this. We go back once again to Alexi Brosofino's house and Michael, you're never going to guess who's back. Who has made their long-awaited return? The last time we saw them was season one, but the Celebrity Stealing Club have returned. And yeah, they are back in business. Call on the front of the plane, Michael, because they are back. <laughs> they come back and they are stealing a painting from Alexi Brosofino's house. And as it happens, it's another Gustav Klimt painting. This one is, in fact, the painting Danai or Danae. You'll have to correct me pronunciation on that one. But it's a wonderful little painting. But as it doesn't matter what it looks like because it's not going to be in his house for much longer. They have. <laughs> you will remember they turned up in season one and were the people who held Todd at gunpoint with balaclavas on and then proceeded to knock him out and leave him on Herb Casas' lawn in one of the funniest bits of animation I think I've seen in this entire show, truth be told. Um, a, a wonderful still still moment that was. Anyway, we go back to Elephant here once again. Another bit of the uh, valet gag for you here, because the next valet, Michael, to get the keys from a person is a cheetah. And that cheetah <laughs> runs away very quickly and gets someone's car, and in the meantime, passes the snail who's already got <laughs> the keys and is still slowly trudging towards that poor woman's car. And she's not very happy about it. As you mentioned, inside Elefante, we do indeed get the only albino rhino gyno that I know, Michael. And he's a <laughs> addict as well. Of course, the second of Princess Carolyn's dates, I think. 
But then on top of that, wonderfully later on, as I'll finish the gag off, is we see another establishing shot outside of Elephante. The snail finally has returned with the woman's car, but she's absolutely furious because he's left snail trails all over the <laughs> and it's completely covered in gunk. She's furious. And I'll be honest, I, do, I can't say I blame her at this point. We go back to the Hotel Kangaroo Savelle. No kangaroo jokes this time for everybody. You've had quite a few, I think we can say, but not quite the way you get it, but it is still technically a kangaroo joke because on the key card that Emily has in her hand that she uses on the hotel room door to open it up, you will notice if you're bored and you want to pause it frame by frame like I had to, you'll <laughs> see that on the front it says, return to pouch at front desk when checking out. Nice. Because, of course, Michael, you would return at the pouch because it's the Hotel Kangaroo's about, for God's sake. Tremendous. God damn it. Anyway, we go to the wedding rehearsal and we go to the bathroom that Bojack is in as he's trying to talk Tanisha out of the bathroom to come back. And we notice on the bathroom cubicle, there's now we've seen this before in the airport. There was a picture of airport security, Michael. You mm. will remember the, the usual little man or woman symbol, but with hair, like the rabbit ears on top of it. Yes. Hair, yes, obviously. On this one, we get a picture of a disabled sign with a wheelchair and a person, but the rabbit ears on it. And I was struggling for ages with this. And the only thing I can think is that this is a toilet cubicle for people who are in a wheel hair. Like that. I like that. Yeah. I say it out loud. It sounds dumb as all hell. But <laughs> I guess if you've got any better ideas, thoughts on a postcard at Podcast Horseman, please. A um, couple more here. Last couple of few for you. Yeah, it was back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house. And it's just a brilliant bit. Yeah, we, as you mentioned, he's sat eating popcorn out of his, out of one of the strainers, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> he's, just, he's finding another use for all these strainers, the spaghetti strainers he's got. He's eating popcorn out of it. Just the way that he's watching that show, and he's just going, oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> even when they're not saying anything particularly profound <laughs> or funny. But most wonderfully, a little bit of trivia for anybody who was listening carefully, the voice the woman voice, the female voice, should I say, that you can hear coming from the TV show, is in fact actually the voice of Emily Deschanel, sister of Zoe, but more notably the character who features on the actual show Bones, which I just Brilliant. thought was a lovely touch. A tiny touch they didn't need to do, but they've literally got Emily Deschanel in to do about three lines of dialogue, if that, and I just thought that was brilliant. That is a complete badge of honour for this show, as we have seen with them multiple times. If you're going to put Paul McCartney in a cake and not have him come out till the end of an episode, why not have Emily Deschanel feature for literally about three lines? Anyway, with that said, those are all of your little things that I found for horsing around. And I believe that is almost everything we have, Michael. But as always, there's still time for one last thing, and then I swear to God we'll shut up about this podcast forever. And I'm going to force you to go first this time. Just okay. forcing you. I'm not giving you a choice. I am forcing your ass to go first. I'm okay with that because this one was a super quick observation I made the second the episode ended. The episode ended on Diane, who, along with Miss Peanutbutt, had the biggest plot of the episode. Um, prior to that, it was Princess Carolyn's night with Judah. And maybe things are going to be okay with her. And I just loved that the whole episode was set up. That Bojack Horseman is no longer a TV star getting thrust into movies. He's the star. What a week to make him the least focused upon star of his own TV show. Just lovely deft work of the title, of the character conventions, of the ABC structure for one little joke that underpins the entire episode. Bojack is the star. 
but in his own show, suddenly he's not. And you could probably apply that to like everything we've seen to this point, maybe. Like Bojack is the star, but ultimately he's the butt of the joke in the end. Is that? I think, I think it's fair to say the people around him are often much better than he is. <laughs> but yeah, you're right there. Absolutely right. Nail on the head because for all intents and purposes, we think maybe this is him turning around and coming full circle. But actually, as we know, none of this means anything. He literally just had a conversation with Cuddly Whiskers like not too long ago where you need to let go of everything to finally be happy and understand. And he hasn't let go of anything, Michael. <laughs> he spent a whole time underwater. We thought I might have changed him. And it hasn't at all. He's a complete dick. Still, <laughs> never mind. Anyway, not that I'm going to write. Let's get into Bojack, shall we? And his depressive state, I think we can probably call it. Because I, I thought that was one of the most notable things from this episode too. And I just want to dive in to a little bit more word for word. The quote that he pulls out of his rear end as he's talking to Tanisha uh, in the bathroom. Because I just I just felt like, God damn it, this was such a great bit of writing. And just impeccably summed up who Bojack Horseman actually is. Never mind the movie star, never mind the superstar, the TV star, the horse from horsing around. He's none of those things, really. This is what Bojack Horseman is. So as he's talking to Tanisha, he says, and she's asking, should I just settle? Should I just settle for somebody? And he says, yes, settle. Because otherwise, you're just going to get older and harder and more alone. And you're going to do everything you can to fill that hole with friends and your career and your meaningless sex but the hole doesn't get filled. And one day you're going to look around and you're going to realize that everybody loves you, but nobody likes you. And that is the loneliest feeling in the world. And Jesus, God damn H Christ. That was like, honestly, the first time I was watching this, this show and heard that, that knocked me for six, absolutely knocked me for six because it was just, it felt so profound. And yet it was coming from this character who was allegedly, on he's on the rise isn't he and then mm. it's that massive reminder that he's just totally not and i think that is if you wanted to summarize bojack's whole character up to now from season one through to season three wherever we are at this point season three episode five that could do it you could really do it and i think this episode alone as you mentioned there could probably across the board that quote maybe everything bojack does it's almost like three seasons of bojack just or bojack narrative squashed down into one episode yeah i think the potency of that as well is particularly well timed because you have you just read some really worthy incredibly well written dialogue one week removed from an episode with none yeah and the timing of that doesn't feel an accident either um a a catch-up if you will of exactly who and what bojack is and where he's at and as you say pretty much the entire duration of the journey we've been on um in a way where, in, in an episode, should I say, where Bojack's night hasn't felt, his life hasn't felt as trivial in months or in, you know, in terms of watching the show in seasons. Not since the very early days of season one, where he's stealing a meal from Neil the Beale, the Navy SEAL, has his day seemed just so, I don't know, frivolous and filled with, as Mr. Peanutbutt would say, pointless things to do to fill your time before you die. And then just when you think that's what Bojack's day is, you get hit with that. The real hard truth of it all, I think, mm. which is... And you know what it is? In the absence of Diane being the truth these days, as she seems to be wavering from her usual um, beacon of light, I guess we'd call her, we probably needed a little dose of this, whether yeah. it was 
Bojack having a painful realisation. But I think it's important we get back to it. And it felt good. It felt powerful. It felt, mm. well, it didn't feel good. It was absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, Bojack Horseman is better than the show you like. And let's be honest, if you aren't ready for some sad, sad quotes in this show, then you are watching the wrong show, my friends. Anyway, now that we've said like, that, let's... It's like running to Radiohead. Nothing makes the high quite like the low. Exactly. I mean, if it couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself as a man who may or may not have done just that last night, Michael. But there <laughs> you go. I'm a, I'm a reasonable man. I'm a reasonable man. Anyway, <laughs> get off me case, Michael, because we need to go and plug our show to all the people, get them to come and like us and share us, and then we can take all their money. Oh, wait, there's no money involved. That's cool. So let's <laughs> just get the community growing instead. Yes, I joke, I kid. Please do. If you're enjoying this podcast or you just you want to come and talk to some strangers about a horse that you care about deeply who is rather depressed, you can do just that. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Thank you to everybody who's done so, so far. And by all means, please do join the club if you feel it necessary. Send us all of your little tidbits all of your favorite parts from the show or your funny gifts or anything you notice that you want to talk about maybe we missed some things please do let us know and if you want to fail that conversation and you want to follow either of your hosts you can also do just that you can follow me on twitter at it's adam nicholas or if you would like to follow michael hamflit you can find him at michael hamflit uh, if you think we're stealing a living you can hail to the thief by uh, following along on Spotify. If you're good with a laptop, you can say, OK, computer, and find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe. <laughs> and if you are familiar with the bends of social media, you can pick up the podcast every Friday through oh. the link in the tweet on <laughs> at Podcast Horseman. And to reiterate what I said at the start of this episode before, Adam Nicholas kicks us me out of this podcast and our friendship uh, oh. in season in season three, we are rewarding anybody that retweets the uh, link that we put up every Friday on the App Podcast Horseman feed with a chance of being inducted into our special season three Hollywood Talk of Fame. Uh, to reiterate, you can still leave a review, a five-star review, say anything nasty, say anything nice, talk about your favourite radio albums. It's all good. We'll read it out on the podcast. You will eventually get yourself read out on the podcast and inducted into the Hollywood Talk of Fame. But for season three, it's a bit of a special. We're doing retweets. And every week, we're going to go through all the people that very kindly retweeted that podcast link on a Friday. Uh, and I'm going to pick somebody at random now. A little bit of a drum roll. And we've got James Wright. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please, for the people at home, can we have that drum roll again, please? Just for a little bit longer than that. I'm getting close. It's because I haven't it. it was James Wright. I have to confess, there is no drums here. I'm working strictly. <laughs> I'm, I'm working strictly with the synth machine. I'm looking outside at the windows where my kids have done in rainbows for the NHS, and I can't afford drums anymore. Uh, it's for James Wright at Jim underscore Blade. Thank you, James Wright your tweet and your retweet indeed you will be getting your start in the hollywood talk of fame soon that's exactly it michael i mean i'm, I'm lost for words at this point i really am but that is what when you do finally get your star on the hollywood talk of fame not you i mean the people that who are listening to this podcast <laughs> and someone says to you if ever you're going to talk about bojack horse when they say to you who you and whose army you can say well <laughs> all of these people all of these people who have the stars now all 20 six i want to say of you who have been inducted into the hollywood talk of fame there are plenty of you and honestly doing those stars at the weekend filled me full of joy it might have been like spinning plates but it doesn't matter because it was mostly just about making you people at home happy and giving you all the stars and who cares if i have to live a life in a glass house all you have to do 
is just get your star and you'll be happy. Michael Hamfield will be happy. What do I get paid? Dollars and cents, you ask? Absolutely <laughs> not. I get paid nothing for this. I just love doing this show. I love doing it with my friend. And it's lovely to spend some time talking ourselves, horse. How about we're talking, horse? Anyway, I've squashed in about every single uh, Radiohead reference I can think of from the album. I'm, I might be wrong there, but uh, <laughs> you'll have to let me know, Michael. Anyway, we have completely derailed this podcast. Do you know, do you know what we've done? They're all, every single one of those references are packed like sardines in a crust tin box. Oh, I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were going to go there. God, all the people at home have got the knives out. It's going to be the end of us. Anyway, Michael, season three, episode six is next in this TV show. I'm sorry to my neighbours who've just listened to us do all of this and are probably (laughs) furious. God, this outro has been ridiculously long. Anyway, it gets better because the next episode at the end of this wild monologue of mine is... Season three, episode six of Bojack Horseman. Brap, brap, pew, pew, Michael. <laughs> Diane's tweet lands Sextina Aquafina in hot water. Prankster and A-list celebrity actor George Clunas gets under Bojack's skin. Something sounds afoot there, Michael. If this was the fish out of water episode, you could say it could have been Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> but it's not. That was a stupid joke made about somebody who is almost sounding like George Clooney. My word, have you ever heard a podcast fall so fast off a cliff like this? Come on, I know you've been thinking of them, so get them out of your system right now before we go. I'm good, honestly. (laughs) I'm ready to call it a night, I promise you. I've got them left. I can't believe you've left me high and dry. Anyway, (laughs) said I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been a complete idiotech. Oh, God, if you don't like Radiohead, dear listener, then I'm sorry, you're on the wrong podcast. But regardless, this has been Podcast Horseman. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.